Welcome to the Collective Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, August 14th. It's episode 15. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're joined today by our special guest host, Don, from the Pinball Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks for inviting me. We will have a link to the Pinball Podcast in our show notes. Uh, If any of you listen to Pinball Podcast, you've surely encountered them because they have the best name for a podcast about pinball ever. (laughs) Good for the Google searches. Yes. 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 We, <laughs> I can see everyone else must be really regretting it as they try and figure out ways to work in the word pinball into their subject line. Well, I like your your format where you can talk about any gaming. Ours were pretty limited by being called the pinball podcast. We can only talk pinball. Well, it's Tony gets full credit for that because I probably would have made us pinball exclusive. But, uh, you know, the concern was there wasn't always a lot of pinball news. And so it's sort of like, well, what are we going to do? Even if we're going every other week, it's like, well, we throw in these other topics. So, yeah, on the plus side, we get to talk about everything. On the other side, we have a lot of people, I think, that might get turned off by the fact that they don't like one of the three topics. So, you know, it's a a trade-off. But we ain't making money, so we do what we want. I hear you. Okay, well, normally we would go ahead and start with our intros here. So I guess, uh, Don, do you have anything going on that you want to share? Mm, I've been, uh, I'm on the outskirts of potty training, which is really exciting. And uh, just about to start preschool with my kids. Oh, those so are fun, my life is about times. to start over again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having eight hours of free time every week. It gets even better That's when they it. start school, school proper. Because I just yeah, had that. Day. My youngest just started actual full up school, school. Yeah. And it's amazing. It sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, other than that, you know, I've been trying to fit in uh, some video games and some movies and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, not pretty boring week, actually. So sorry, I have nothing exciting to talk about yet. Well, that's all right. We uh, we often have really boring uh, weeks. We just try and make it sound really awesome for entertainment purposes. Right. So uh, for me, uh, no, not a, not a whole ton. Uh, a couple pinball tournaments since the last episode had our monthly one up at 403 club in Kansas city, Kansas uh, went to and out as I usually do. Uh, took it to game three, both times though. So I guess I can kind of pat myself on the back for that. Uh, Hobbit launch party was last night. I uh, actually did decent, not as good as I did at the ghostbusters launch, but I did survive six rounds. It was a three strike system. So, wow. That was that was nice. I actually took first on a few of those games, which is atypical for me. Uh, just I'm I'm pretty scrub compared to a lot of the players. But how many players but, were there? Uh, oh gosh, it was uh, twenty four. I think yeah, twenty three or twenty four. Wow. I think the I think the official first start count was 24. I don't know if everyone stuck through all their strikes or not. Uh, and then other than that, video game wise, lots and lots of Gems of War. Uh, it is my puzzle quest quest clone. And so I have fully embraced it. I haven't touched Dying Light for two weeks now. I don't even know if I'll ever go back to it. Uh, because it's so mundane, and I just like making my little bejeweled combinations and advancing my little characters. But I did also try- find there was a free advert game on the Xbox One called Ben Hur. Apparently, yeah, there's a remake. I, I almost said a terrible remake, but I, I probably shouldn't jump to conclusions, but I kind of have. And so it's just three chariot races on the same track. The only difference is the re- the number of laps you need is one higher each time. And it's just to promote the movie. Every time you start the uh, the set of races, it tries to show you the trailer for the film. And it currently, it gets a highlight because on uh, True Achievements, which is one of the top Xbox gaming websites, it is currently recognized 
recognized as being the lowest rated game ever on the site. As far I as have achievements unlocked or just gamer rating? Gamer rating. Wow. The number of stars they're giving it on the site. Yeah, so the price it, it, is currently, right. it currently is the worst. Worse than Yaris, worse than Whoa. a lot of the other advert games. Doritos Crash than, Course. I'm going to say Doritos Crash Course was pretty bad, and it's worse than that. Oh, that was a great game. It's rated worse than that. <laughs> I... I and Doritos I thought was okay. I never played Yars. Yars was notoriously Yars was bad yes. because the control scheme was so awful. And this is not like that. This is if you know how to play a racing game, this is not that bad. I full cleared all the achievements in under an hour. It's uh, and there was one that took a little bit of work because you have to wipe out all five of the chariots and you have to do it yourself and you have to do it in each of the rounds. So you have to destroy all 15 opponents yourself. And that takes a little bit of getting used to. But anyway, it's definitely not the worst game I've ever played, but it also isn't very special, and it didn't make me want to see the movie. Anyway, that's all I've been go- going on with me. Tony, what's what's up? Um, I took my certification exam last week, and I passed it, so I don't have to worry about testing again until March. Yay! Congratulations. I went to the Hobbit launch party as well. I, ma- I made it to round five, so that was really solid for me. Uh, two and out at 403, just like normal. The caliber of player at 403 is just insane. Uh, I went to a local board game night uh, Friday night, and there were a bunch of people there who'd been at Gen Con, so we had a couple games that were only for sale at Gen Con at the time that were playable, and a couple new Kickstarter games that had come out that we played. That was a lot of fun. And otherwise, I've just been working on a variety of random around-the-house projects and stuff. I did finally get a chance to go see Star Trek Beyond. It was better than Into Darkness, and I still don't like the design of the new Enterprise. That's just... I just cannot like it. The Abramsification doesn't resonate with you. I don't know. She's too curvy or something. I just she doesn't look right to me. It, it, it looks off. Hmm. Well, I know a lot of people thought the Star Trek Next Gen Enterprise. I know that sets some people off that it looks too weird, too rounded, or squat or something. I don't know because that's always that's my Enterprise because that's the show I grew up with. But yeah, I was always an A fan, so. I don't know. I, I've seen some some fan things where they've taken the Enterprise, the original Enterprise from the original movies, but put on the larger rounded nacelles like were in the new Abrams movies, and that actually looks pretty good. But something about the rest of the ship I just don't like. So, but it was still it was a good movie. It was it was better than Into Darkness. I didn't walk out of it with the rage, and it was a lot of fun. So I was pretty happy with it all in all. I'd heard if you keep your expectations low, you'll have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. I after in, I went into Into Darkness expecting it to be this giant, huge thing, and I walked out so angry at that at that movie. And this one, I went in, I was just like, okay, it's a matinee showing. We'll just see it because I've heard it's not that bad. And I watched it. It's like, okay, that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it kind of felt more like how the shows used to be in its in its approach it wasn't just a whole bunch of action set pieces still some issues with the science uh versus what we used to get out of the shows in terms of the the logic being stretched that was the thing for me with into darkness is i'm not that grounded into the science of star trek but there were just elements in that where i was going what what how is this happening it makes no sense and of course the blatant ripoffs of taking wrath of khan and just doing little twists on it, whereas you had that very first Abrams Star Trek, which was what I thought was so nice about it was they went into that alternate timeline. So you had the potential to not have to duplicate things. And then what do you do? You try and clone the greatest Star Trek movie ever. And as you would expect to try and live up to a classic, you don't. Yeah, I, that's that's pretty much how I felt with Into Darkness. 
anyway, we'll have to save that for the eclectic movie podcast, which we don't have. <laughs> I was going to ask if you guys had seen Suicide Squad while you're on that topic. I have not yeah, because I got it's to- rating too low for me to go to the theater and, and, oh. and spend the money. I haven't. I I only had a chance to go to one movie, and I I went with Star Trek. So my wife and I were out of town, and we told our my in laws watching the kids. We told them we were coming back late, but we came back early and saw a movie before they knew it. And yeah, mm, we clever. saw Suicide Squad last weekend. Did you I like? Wish it? I had seen Star Trek. Uh, it started out strong. It just got kind of boring. The end is pretty bad. Yeah, I've really heard the third like act it. is a mess. It is. There's no motivation for the Suicide Squad to kick into action i don't know i don't want to spoil anything but i never saw that batman versus superman movie i've heard it's better than that but i've i finally watched the uh the ultimate or director's cut that they put out uh, i never saw the theatrical release and the ultimate one they added quite a bit of footage and people were saying that that cut is a lot better and i walked away from watching batman v superman thinking it's all right but the first I'd say 45 minutes is a big struggle because it's hard to kind of understand what's, what exactly is going on. And uh, it just, it, for a comic book movie, it seemed a little off, but Star Trek wishes you had uh, seen it as well, because I've uh, read that they are struggling to make back the money that <laughs> they spent to create the movie. So they've they're already so announced a, a fourth one, but my guess will be that they're going to have a drastically reduced budget, which could be good. I mean, Wrath of Khan had a really reduced budget because Star Trek, the motion picture uh, was such a bomb. Are they bringing back Justin Lin to direct? Do you know? I don't know. I think I think they just were. You know, they were just getting out there that they're not cutting it off at a trilogy that oh, they're going cool. that they're going to go on. But you know, in the wake of this of these numbers, I mean, we'll see when the worldwide comes in exactly where they end up. But it's just not people just aren't going to it to the volume that would warrant a. I don't remember what it was, 180 million before advertising money. Oh. So pretty high. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's probably comes off of the whole into darkness. So many people were upset with into darkness. I think that hurt them. Well, let's go into topics that we are sure about. Our three main areas. And the first one, as is almost always the case, would be pinball. And before going into some of the actual news that we want to tackle this time, we thought we would go ahead and start with a general intro discussion because we have Don here and he's a pinball expert. So we have a we have a number of things that we thought that we've recently covered or covered over various episodes that we thought might be fun to have a discussion with you about. Sure. And I know Tony has one that he loves to ask uh, any of our pinball interview subjects or guests that they're associated with it. And so I'll let him go ahead and lead off with that one yeah it's my favorite pinball question if you had no rules and you could do anything you wanted what music pen would you have made oh i was looking over your questions and i skipped this or i forgot about this one uh, my favorite band is pixies but i don't know that they would fit in a pinball game too well i'd probably do something kind of over the top like uh like a mega death i'm not huge into the music but i think they're imagery has you know they got 30 years of imagery to make a pretty badass game and metallica didn't really have that same level that megadeth does and they made a great game out of that i think megadeth music would be great in a pin maybe not the most creative answer but uh something i would love to have in my game room yeah that wouldn't be that that wouldn't be that bad either i don't think pixies would be horrible if you if you laid it out right either no it's just they don't have they don't have any iconic toys you know to convert in there uh, uh, eyeball slicing mode i don't know <laughs> not a whole lot but uh yeah i wouldn't mind listening to pixies playing uh, ween is kind of the easy answer but i've talked to some other pinball it looks, seems like a lot of pinball people are ween fans and they all say they wouldn't want to get burnt out on ween music being in a pin <laughs> so you want to pick a band that's not your favorite band 
but that you wouldn't get sick of right away. Or you just pick up that program that lets you flash whatever music into the pen you want anyway and just change it randomly as you go. You know, I did that for Metallica, and I uh, actually, uh, Joe Zankis helped a lot, and I put in all these 90s metal songs that I liked, and it made me so much better at the game, and I really enjoyed it a lot more. I had uh, Pantera and Queens of the Stone Age and Helmet, and it just it was more fun playing because I wasn't hearing the same 15 Metallica songs anymore. I was just hearing songs that I loved and playing pinball at the same time. Awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I don't know. I've heard guys put in like uh, Fergie and Justin Bieber songs and stuff as a joke. <laughs> I don't know if well, that would help or hurt. Maybe if rage fuels you, it could There be you go, yeah. Okay, well, kind of similar to that, but uh, one of the things I wanted to go over is in our last episode, Tony and I went over what we thought, what pin we most wanted that was in the pin side top solid state 50. And also what one we thought was the most overrated. And I can say that on, from the one we both wanted, Tony wanted Attack from Mars, and I wanted Lord of the Rings. And on overrated, Tony's overrated one was Indianapolis 500, and mine was Theater of Magic. So just sort of curious, Don, what you would, what you don't already have, uh, what pin side top 50 table would you most, or pin, I should say, since we're talking the physical ones, would you most want to have? And on that list, what one do you think is the most overrated per whatever definition you use for overrated? Yeah, you reminded me that I was upset with your choices on most overrated last time. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> why I, I that's why I give these refreshers to, to feel <laughs> that rage. Think of me as your Justin Bieber. Uh, Theater of Magic is one of my favorite games ever, and I did have one. I regret selling it. But if I if there's one that I wish I could own, it would be Attack from Mars as well. It's kind of an easy answer, but looking over the whole list, I said, man, I had picked out X-Men LE, and then I was scrolling back up to the top, and I'm like, man, I would really like to have a Attack from Mars. I've never had that one. I never get tired of it, so that's got to be my pick, too. It makes sense. It's a really It was on my short list. I'd say it was probably uh, one of the top three that I would have gone with. It's, it's just a, like the perfect a, pin. It is, yeah. The light show, the sound, the theme, the shots. There's not much you could do to improve that game. Maybe take out the neon pink, but that's about it. And uh, overrated, what do you think? I gotta say Fishtails, right? Fishtails is sitting at 46. There's not a whole lot of shots. It's a cool theme, but it just doesn't come together for me. It seems like you're shooting the same two or three shots every time. They well integrated the theme, but it's just in the top 50, I've never been too excited about fishtails. And I've seen a lot of people kind of talk it up. I think I've only ever played it once uh, in someone's collection. And so I don't I don't really have any thoughts on fishtails because I have had next to no exposure to it. I guess I've I played it twice on Pinball Arcade also. <laughs> so I guess it really never hooked me, pun intended. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah, think I've just ever much played there. it. Uh, it's easy to say Adam's Family because that's one I kind of get tired of, but... And that's a classic. I can't I can't throw that one under the bus, right? There's a discussion on the pinball subreddit, uh, actually, about is Adam's family overrated? I did not start the topic, but it's, a, it's got a, n- a number of interesting comments because, you know, a lot of people think it is. And some other people think, well, no, it kind of deserves it. So yeah. uh, it's never really resonated with me. I like it. Uh, I like it better than I originally did after having played it so much. We had it on location in one of our monthly tournaments for quite a while, and it's still on location. They've just moved it to one of the non-tournament spots. Mm. And so... I'll still drop some coins in it, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. I Those bigger games with lots of flippers, uh, I start to not like anyway. So that always sort of stacks it against me uh, or against against the pin. And I don't like that little flipper on the far left that just seems to be designed to shoot balls into the right out lane. And it <laughs> seems like all you do is walk the mansion or 
uh, you know, shoot for the piano and try and get your multi ball. But you know, that was pretty common for games of that era. So that you'd only have a couple of really good strategic options. I'd love to see that layout today with current code, with a current theme, like a, a new theme. Oh, that would be interesting. I, the layout is pretty solid. There's a lot they could do with it. Yeah, I agree. And hey, maybe maybe that's what Lawler will be doing here with JJP. <laughs> uh, hopefully, eventually. Sometime. Or we'll have Roller Coaster Tycoon 2.0. Those are really the only two options. That's I'm all right. I'm kind of surprised that announcement hasn't been made yet. I, I expected it before the end of the summer with Hobbit coming out. I expected them to have announced that made said something about the new pen. I think they're just behind. All the games have been up behind. That's no secret. I think they're really waiting for Expo, and we're going to see something at Expo. Yeah, I think it makes sense. But, uh, you know, if they're still committed to getting announced this year, I think that's when when it would most likely be. Uh, but I don't really hold JJP to any sort of time frame expectations at this point. No, I, I don't know. Even if Stern is running out of parts or having issues, it's like if everybody's feeling this crunch. Oh, ghosting. Yes, ghosting. Well, yeah, that's a, that's another issue. But I'd heard that uh, coil stops were a big issue. Like they were all the world was out of coil stops. Mm-hmm. Somehow you could still buy them from Pinball Life and whatnot, but none of the manufacturers could get coil stops. So I don't know what the deal was. Huh? There's okay. a big I'll have to read up or, on that. I don't know. Yeah, they made them all wrong. They're they're, they're wrong size. They're all well, got they the wrong metal or something. <laughs> they all snap. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our, our first, re- we'll call it real topic within pinball, which, uh, Tony, I know you picked this one in for discussion. It was some more information about the Pabst Can Crusher. Yeah, they announced it is for sale on Pabst website, and we'll have a link to it. Uh, but it, the big thing is the price, is the price is just i'd call the price about fourteen hundred dollars higher than i expected so it's not a minor difference what were you expecting i was expecting between five and fifty five hundred okay so sort of in the neighborhood of pro pricing yeah and they went with it's currently on sale at least at the last time i checked they wanted uh 63.99 for it with a regular price of 69.95 and it's like wow that's much higher than i expected yeah, I, um, I, I, I guess, you know, thinking about it, thinking about what I'm assuming as a shallower rule set than their normal lineup, than the true Stearns, uh, lack of dots. So no animation was needed. I, I do personally, I do find it to be too expensive for a glorified EM. Uh, but you know, it is a boutique item, obviously, since they're only selling it through Pabst. Uh, and from what I can gather, the, and this, uh, you know, uh, shout out to the Pinheads Pinball Podcast, which spent a lot of time going over this. It sounds like originally Pabst was pushing to do this really unique idea where they were only going to have 50 pins built and they were going to put one in each state at a Pabst supporting bar. And that apparently got scrapped. And instead, this concept has come about instead. But I'm getting more of this sort of vibe that they want these for promotional reasons. But if you're a real big Paps fan, they've gone ahead and created an outlet for you to be able to go and buy them. But it doesn't sound like they're stockpiling them either because of the the that link indicates that there's a big lag on the order time, you know, like the six to eight weeks for delivery. So I'm assuming they'll just take the money and then they'll tell Stern how many they need on some periodic basis and get those run up off the line. Assuming the coil stops are okay, of course. Yeah, it sounds like they're doing them in batches, uh, possibly small batches. Uh, that price is pretty crazy. The price on Wonelli is pretty crazy. They already had the art, the layout. Everything was already done when they received the project. So there was no... No cook time, you know? Yeah, it's a it's the Shrekification syndrome. 
I guess. And uh, Paps doesn't come with the crate either, which seems like that would be a big, unique item. Like, Bonelli had the crate you could sit the right. game on, and, as well as legs. This doesn't have the crate. It's still the same price. It doesn't have the unique cans that you crushed to level it. The system was already there. It's using Spike, so it's not like it's a, a, tri- a trial game. I think this type of game at 3500 would be a home run, but Stern is... They're not leaving any money on the table. They're no. starting as high as they can, and they're trying to raise the bar of the whole industry to match the secondary market. But the secondary market is going to cool as every game costs a fortune now. Yeah. So it's not like there's the 10 hit games from the 90s that everybody's kind of saving their money for because everyone wants. Now that pool is much, much bigger than it was five years ago. But Stern still isn't on board with that. So if they're cool with not selling that many. I don't think it's going to be a big seller at that price point. At 3500 I would be tempted to get one because I like Wonelli. I like the layout. I love Dirty Donnie art. I like this theme. I'm not a PBR guy, but I'm cool with it. And Red Fang, that's cool. It's just a cool like pinball theme. Yeah, I think it works on a lot of levels. Uh, and I would be more inclined to have something like this than Wonelli itself. I think the art package is better. But you know, yeah, at the at this sort of pricing, it's like no, uh, there's just no way I could ever really consider it. Actually, when we were uh, at that Hobbit launch party yesterday, we were in a discussion just before we left about uh, and the you know the whole pinball bubble and the the price of everything going up. And you know, I remember I started Game Machines in 2012 and just how much different it is now. Uh, where even lesser desired titles like uh, when I got my Jurassic Park, I probably could have been spent 700 bucks less had i bought it in 2012 than when i bought it this year and yeah i think you know i'm seeing a lot of stuff sit now sit on craigslist um sit on pinside a bit it seems like they're sitting longer than i used to notice and so my guess will be i don't know if the bubble's going to burst in the sense that prices are going to collapse but i do think that they're going to quit going up on these old games because as all this volume of new stuff keeps coming out, everyone's trying to sell it for basically the same amount that they paid new in box. It's like, oh, I stuck Cliffy's in, so give me my new in box price back. Right. I, I just, I, you know, I don't think that's going to be tenable. And I would actually expect some of the newer stuff to slide a little bit more than we've been seeing, but maybe not. Uh, we'll have to see. Well, guys are filling up their game rooms too, and they're not willing to sell games at a loss, sell games at early 2000s prices. So those games are sitting in their game rooms. They're not flipping games as, as often, so the turnover factor is gone. Yeah, yeah, and there's there are a lot less that I that I've been seeing. We on our Kansas City area, there's a Facebook thread, and then you know they'll throw them up there, and I'll see some people that'll still be trying to ask for what I'm sure they probably paid for on some of these things, but it's just like, I'm sorry, that's a Gottlieb, and there ain't no way I'm paying two yeah. grand for that. Yep. But oh well for them, oh well for us. Okay, well, speaking of Stern, the big rumors that have been going on for a long time is, or predictions, I should say, is what what's Stern's next music pen going to be? And the biggest uh, news that I've seen lately is that the rumor is now that it's Slayer. And this based off of a couple of items. One was that Gary Stern posed for a photo at Comic-Con with one of the band members, which in and of itself, I wouldn't read all that much into. Uh, in another instance, there was a Slayer concert and someone took a, poster, a picture excuse me, of one of the sponsorship banners and Stern Pinball was listed as a sponsor of the concert. So I think that has naturally led to the dis- discussion that Slayer would be the next music pin. So I guess, uh, what are your guys' thoughts about that? I ne- I personally had never, Slayer never entered my mind. Part of that is I just, I never listened to them. So I just didn't, you know, I'm thinking, 
big bands, big bands. What would that be? Well, Aerosmith is a big band. Iron Maiden's pretty big band. Slayer, you know, they're just not in my first breath of metal bands to speak about. But you know, the the evidence is seeming to point this way now. Hmm. Yeah, I I used to be under NDA with Stern, but I gave that up by my choice back in March when we were looking at uh, Ghostbuster stuff. So I can say Slayer was not in the list of games I've heard, but I haven't heard anything in six months, and I don't seek it out. I think Slayer, if they did something like a retheme, if they rethemed, you know, X game, whatever, uh, High Roller Casino or Lord of the Rings into a Slayer game, they could maybe pick up some sales that way. Slayer doesn't have the history that an ACDC does or Kiss. Uh, it doesn't have the audience, and I don't think it has a worldwide wide appeal. But for a small run, it's possible. Well, my, my, my thought are, I mean, some of the big bands they've listed makes a little bit more sense, but everybody's continuously still listing, you know, metal bands. And I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a shift to something more as the grouping and the collectors age, where getting to where more like the alternative in the early 90, early to mid 90s stuff is getting to be more, po- or, you know, where's what we grew up with. If we're going to start seeing a music pen shift to something more along those lines, instead of just staying, I mean, cause right now everything's been pretty much metal except for Elvis. So I can see a, a change coming, you know, a Nirvana pen or, or something from that era that could be interesting. I just, I don't know. It's Slayer's, it doesn't grab me like the thought of an Aerosmith pen did, but it's one of those things that it's like, I guess I can see it through circumstantial evidence. It's just not something that they wouldn't have been the first band I would have thought of. As far as the all. sponsorship on the banner, uh, Jody Dinkberg, who's you know a big wig at Stern, he comes from a metal promotion background. So it's possible he has ties in that industry is still, and that's where some of that licensing crossover is coming from. He found, you know, he might be as a hookup where they can get some funding there or more exposure to that sponsorship and having the metal pins. I think that audience is a good audience to be promoting pinball to. doesn't necessarily mean they're having a Slayer pin. Uh, right. Iron Maiden yeah, was kicked yeah. around forever. And it's hard to think of bands in the nineties that are iconic yet. Something like uh, a Rolling Stones, a kiss, you know, they have 40, 50 years of, still being relevant pop culture wise, even if their albums aren't Slayer. I would say Slayer is still relevant in a pop culture aspect, but I don't think their albums have sold and maybe ever, but definitely not the last 15 years. Yeah. It could just be, it could just truly be promotional efforts. I could, you know, there could be a, people that attend a Slayer concert that they may think, you know, the, these guys could be susceptible to wanting to buy a Metallica pin or something like that. So we're just going to get our, our name out there and, try and get more people into pinball that way so yeah it could be all for naught but it at least gave us something interesting to speculate about well and do you, did you guys hear the Jimi hendrix thing yeah we did so yeah gary stern's daughter kind of accidentally leaked that they're working on a hendrix pin uh, and we still haven't seen anything from that and that's been almost a year since that happened yeah because that was some of the original talk in one of our earliest episodes where we talked about that and aerosmith and iron maiden because those were all the those were all the things that have been talked about and rumored and this and that and it could just be completely that they're not the next thing on the list isn't another music pen i mean there's nothing saying there has to be continuous music pens they're the coming out with a kiss having just come out so it could be just a big break here with several non-music pens yeah, Kiss is just over a year, and they that was two years separated from Metallica. 
But I would say Red Fang being a part of PBR, PBR to me is kind of a metal license, music yeah. type license. So then Red Fang fits into it pretty well. Yeah, I do love the artwork on that machine. Yeah. I don't know if Stern's considering the Can Crusher though as part of its uh, official lineup, or that's more of a like the Dominoes thing, where that you know Spookies says, "Well, we're, we've designed and are doing Dominoes, but don't think of Dominoes as a spooky pen. It's a it's a contract job." Yeah, as as late as Ghostbusters has been, both with the announcement and actually getting them out the getting them out the door, they might just be down to two pins this year. We might just wait until October to see whatever it is, and who knows what the rumor will be in October. The, yeah. I, I will say the the game that I had heard was next has been rumored, but it is not the strongest rumor right now. So I don't know if they shuffled the lineup. When I was in the know, they did shuffle the lineup, and they definitely shuffled the dates. Every game um, that I had heard about was delayed. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the, the only other non-music rumor that I've heard, which is so obvious that it's not surprising that people would talk about it, would be Star Wars. But, you know, then everyone starts speculating about how long do they wait to incorporate their, that, like with Star Trek pin, for example, the desire to incorporate more than one movie, same with Iron Man, get more than one movie into your modes and stuff that you expect to at least be close to the second movie, major movies released before you'd see anything. They almost always wait until the sequel of a film like Iron Man and Dark Knight and whatnot and Spider-Man. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more than one Star Wars pin from this new series. Yeah, between the new series and the new Star Wars stories movies coming out, there's going to give so much fodder that can be used. Yeah, we might see one from the new trilogy. We might see two from the new trilogy. We might see a, a legacy pin where, oh, 40 years of Star Trek's coming up, or Star Wars, rather. Uh, yeah, I can see that. You know, we get a Donnie Yen-themed pen just because it's Donnie Yen and he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wishful thinking. <laughs> okay, so lots of speculation there regarding Stern. So let's go ahead and go to our last pinball topic of the day. Uh, it is not about Stern, but it could be, I suppose. Depends on what, <laughs> what you think, what yeah. you think of machines. I thought well, we might uh, have some fun with a, a little discussion about the sort of the best bad slash not great pinball machine you'd like to own. And so it can be any machine with just the following criteria. It's a machine you do not have, but you kind of wish you did have. And my only criteria on this is I turned to Penn side and I said, all right, if you're going to choose a solid state game, it cannot be ranked in the top 200. So it can be number 201 or lower, but no higher than that. If you're going to go off of their EM list, uh, just the top 100. So anything ranked 101 or lower is okay. But I just thought that we use a little bit of thresholds, get some sort of communal agreement on what might be a not good game or bad, depending on on what you think of it. But uh, I guess, Tony, you want to kick us off? Well, mine is some a game I've talked about in the past. Campus Queen. It is ranked number 211 on the Pinside Top 100 EMs. I played it in at the Texas Pinball Festival, and I hated this game. I hated it so horribly, and then I played it a second time because I needed to get a better score. And that second playthrough was like, you know, I kind of like this game. And I ended up playing that game probably four more times over the course of the weekend. And every time I played it, it's like, you know, this game's really not that bad. I kind of like the mushroom pops. I kind of like how it feels and how it flows. And, I mean, it's just... 
it's a it's a reskin of uh, an earlier game that was reskinned a third time after that. I mean, it's nothing special, but something about that game just really draws me and has become a court, a sort of. I won't go so far as to call it a grail game for me, but it, it's on the edge. It's on my actual watch list that I look for them for sale on like Pennside and stuff. Oh, well, that's pretty significant. I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty close. It's quasi grail. It's got kind of a cool layout. I was not familiar when you named it, but uh, it's kind of interesting for an EM. Yeah, one of the other skin versions is the one I'm more f- familiar with. But yeah, I yeah, only pl- it- I only played it during the tournament because, of course, that game wasn't allowed to be played publicly for quite a while because it was locked in that tournament bank for so long. Yeah, and well, because the other versions of it are Cleopatra, which was a one-player version, and Gator, which was a four-player version with zip flippers. I think I've seen Sheba. Gator played on uh, on some Twitch streams of some tournaments. Yeah, Sheba, not uh, Cleopatra. Yeah, Sheba, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Gator. Gator's a, a fun game, and they're the exact same layout. The only difference is Gator has zip flippers. Yeah, it's just weird. It was a game that, like I said, I played it the first time, and I'm like, screw that game. I hate that game. That's the worst game in the bank. And the more I played it, it's like, okay, I kind of see how this game flows, and I actually really kind of enjoyed this game. You actually, you ended ranking pretty high on the qualifiers on that game, if I remember right. I did. I I burned several plays on that game because I started getting into it. (laughs) Okay. Well, Don, do you have a pick? Yeah, this is one. If you've ever listened to our podcast, you've heard it a million times. Uh, roller coaster tycoon sitting oh, at number two. This is why you didn't bite at my bait when I made fun of uh, Lawler being that or roller coaster tycoon. No, I heard you. <laughs> okay, well, I, I was, I'm I'm working real hard here trying to fish that anger out. Yeah, no, uh, roller coaster tycoon's got uh, such a unique layout. He threw every toy you could think of in there, every odd little shot, and it's just a dog license. I don't even like the license that much. I like the roller coaster theme, but the trolls and whatnot are kind of hokey. Uh, the dots aren't necessarily that good looking, but man, it is such a unique layout. They're, every time I see them, they're beat to heck, and they don't play that great. But every once in a while, I'll find one with some good flippers and have a great time with it. And I just want my own that I can just fix up that plays well. I know it'll be family friendly. I don't have to worry about anything like that, scaring my kids or whatnot. I was thinking of my my list of Grail pins are almost all dogs. I think maybe the highest rated one is uh, Gladiators. Oh yeah, Gladiators. That one. I've seen a few people actually interested in Gladiators. What is Roller Coaster Tycoon ranked at? Do you recall? Uh, two eighteen. Two eighteen. Top three. And what yeah. was Campus Queen, Tony? Do you remember? It's a uh, two eleven on the EM. Okay. All right. That's saying something. Two eleven on the EM is that's yeah. obscure, man. Yeah, it's it's down there. It's yeah. well, looking on their for sale list, I've only ever seen a single machine for sale on Pennside, and it's the same machine that's been sold three times. <laughs> it's just i don't who knows how many of them have survived this long so that's always yeah. the challenge with those ems uh roller coaster tycoon i actually can't say a lot about i've only i've never played one that was fully working and that's frustrating oh. but and i know they're notorious for being not functional fully so I, there's so I, much stuff on it yeah that little troll he's just he was just staring there at me and i was like i can't even get the ball up i think that one was one it wasn't even launching right one of them i may have tried two different ones i don't I don't recall exactly. This would have been at Texas where I saw him. It's got some really tall uh, vertical up kickers that you need to have working to get the ball around. Well, my pick is also on the solid state list. It's ranked 229, and that would be Gottlieb's 1988 Bad Girls. Yes. Why Bad Girls? Why Bad Girls? What a, what a great question, Don. I'd be more than happy to explain it. Bad Girls, I've never played it. 
So this is this is a very oh, bold statement. Okay. Very bold. However, this is why it is. It has a horrible art package, very 80s, horrible sound design, arguably 80s, more arguably just poor. But the play field is a mirror image of 8-Ball Deluxe. It is, yeah. So based solely off of the layout, and I am familiar with 8-Ball Deluxe, the layout's solid. This game has multi-ball, which is something that 8-Ball Deluxe lacks. They added a few other creative scoring methods to it as well. So it's got a little bit more depth to it than the old 8-Ball Deluxe game does. So for me, it's on there because it's so ugly, but it's still got the same basic gameplay that it actually puts an 8-Ball Deluxe type experience into the affordability range. They didn't make a whole lot of bad girls, but currently 8-Ball Deluxe, I would never spend the amount of money for 8-Ball Deluxe that it goes for. I could see getting an 8-Ball Deluxe LE, which again, because it's so ugly, uh, drops into a price range that I think is reasonable. But bad girls should go for even less than that. So based off of the layout and uh, looking past the the 80s-ness, the sheer 80s-ness with those photo back glasses that Gottlieb fell in love with because they were so cheap to do, bad girls would be the one that I want the most. That back glass is so terrible, though. There it's are so a lot terrible. of really, well, there are a lot of really terrible ones. I know a lot of people hate TX Sector. I've made fun of Genesis. Some people love Genesis because it's so campy that it sort of gets into that so bad it's good category. But Genesis is kind of popular, so that actually for an '80s Gottlieb, that one kind of sells for a bit. Bad Girls. There ain't no reason why you shouldn't be able to find a Bad Girls for under a thousand bucks. Wasn't there one for sale in Omaha like three or four months ago? Yeah, he had it listed for a while. I even contacted him because he had it in the in the Kansas City Craigslist. And I wondered if he came down here a lot or something. And he said no. He was just, he knew there were more pinball fans in Kansas City, so he wanted to list. Uh, but he wanted twelve hundred for it, which is probably twice what I think it should go for. I mean, he LED'd it, and, but you know that's all subjective sort of stuff. So he he thought he had that much in it, and I was a, a little skeptical that it really should command that much even if it was restored because it is an eighties Gottlieb and they're just, uh, cause I have to consider if I get bored with it, you know, how much of a hit I could take a hit, but how much of a hit am I going to be willing to take, um, to bring on something like this, which not very many people in this area would be interested in buying, but I am interested currently. So anyway, that's the dog of a game that I most want. Cause I actually think that, that, that with that layout, it, it can't suck. It just looks bad. Well, Eight Ball Deluxe is next up on the, the pinball arcade. Is that enough to scratch the itch, where you wouldn't need to have the real thing? Oh, Would sure, you pay could five be. bucks. Sure, yeah. could yeah, could be. I um, in fact, Eight Ball Deluxe. I mean, I have it on my little like tracking wish list on Pinside. I've kept my eyes out on it. I never really considered it from an ownership standpoint until I had uh, someone contact me back when I was first trying to sell my Xenon and I listed it for trades and someone said he had an eight ball deluxe LE that he hadn't been playing and he wanted to discuss doing a trade and he ended up backing out. He decided he'd rather keep the eight ball deluxe. But uh, then I just started like, Oh, okay, well, you know, what, what do I, what do I not have? None of my games are drop target city. So I thought well, it could be kind of fun, at least for a while to have something that's sort of drop target heavy. I finally actually, yesterday was the first time I ever got to play world poker tour and I could see that kind of fitting that, you know, scratching that itch. But even though that's a, a low cost for a modern Stern game, it's still very much more than what you would be able to get an 8-Ball Deluxe LE for. So, Yeah, and that one keeps going up in price because I think yeah, people have decided are starting that, to like it. Uh, yeah, finally. that it's got some decent... It's got, it, 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 I thought it was a fun shooter. I mean, I, you know, I think, again, kind of like this one, but not to the same extreme. It, it was sort of hampered by an ugly art package, but it doesn't feel like a Steve Ritchie game, even though it is one. Yeah, on ba- the, on Batgirls, what is on top of the slingshots? 
Is this supposed to be chalk? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I know yeah, some you, people that wouldn't want bad girls with, with kids around because it's a little seen as a little risque. But You know, you could get bad girls and then reskin it so it didn't look quite so horrible. I mean, we could get some... You've got you've got a niece, and we can give her some markers or paint or something, and that would obviously make it look better. You know, she was over one time. I don't I don't want to complain about Nora because I love Nora, but Nora was I wasn't paying that much attention, and we were down in my game room, and then after she left, I realized she had taken stickers and stuck them all over the left side of my Star Trek, yeah. and it was like, oh no, and like is it that's Metallica once all over the front. Uh, I was going to say Diamond Lady was on my wish list for a while because I thought it looked really fun. And it's a, an 80s Gottlieb. But when I finally played it, I was like, I'm glad I didn't bite on this because I, I was on the hook for one for a while. And the guy sold somebody sniped it from me from a local s- seller on Craigslist. Mm. And after I finally played it, I was like, this it really isn't a good game. Even I could get over the ugly art. But uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever played a bad girls. I think because you have such a home run layout with eight ball deluxe you're probably thinking the right thing where this would still be a fun pin yeah even I, though you I, haven't tried it yet yeah very very bold statement but again 80s gottlieb it shouldn't it shouldn't cost failure shouldn't cost that much if i were to find one but it wasn't one of their bigger runs either so no, 2500 games yeah yeah so not bad but yeah i've never yeah other than that omaha one i've never really seen one pop up but most of the local collectors that they don't they don't do gottleaps i think i've seen someone who just recently was selling his teed off and that's the most recent gottlieb i can remember in at least a year that i saw listed that wasn't an em gottlieb of course because that's a different story but yeah okay well we got through the pinball segments so now we can transition off into topics uh, brand new for dawn yeah you can yeah. you can you can loosen up and, and and live the good life the egp yeah. life now uh, <laughs> so we're going to go into video games which is our normal secondary segment and the first thing i think we need to talk about is the only major video game that has recently come out and that would be no man's sky i'm sure everyone who's heard about anything about video games has heard about no man's sky because it has been heavily promoted for years now at this point the ps4 version arrived early last week pc was released a little bit later just before the release there were a lot of concerns that were coming out based off of the preliminary ps4 copies that some people were getting because vendors were breaking street date the developer shortly after that was happening had announced that they had already planned to do a day one patch that day one patch did happen and it significantly modified the uh the copies of of the game that were circulated review copies were held up because they were waiting to have the day one patch uh, so that they would be able to review what was sort of seen as the finalized release version. And uh, all in all, I'd say this was just sort of the the icing on the cake of concerns that were really circulating over the last six months or so about No Man's Sky. But it's out now. People are getting to experience it. And I guess I should ask, Don, have you played No Man's Sky yet? Yes, I have. Yeah, I picked it up uh, Tuesday. I had it pre-ordered, and uh, I think the only other Hello Games game I'd played was Joe Danger, which I loved, but it is a small indie, you know, popcorn arcade game. No Man's Sky, I played maybe four or five hours the first day, just whenever I could, I played, and I hit a bug. Because the game is uh, procedurally generated, Okay, there's like 18 quintillion planets or whatever, uh, each planet kind of just comes into its own as you're traveling across it, or maybe when you arrive but there's a lot of pop-up 
kind of like an old Tony Hawk game where you don't see the buildings in the background until you get closer. Uh, the game kind of works like that, but I need to talk to an alien and he was inside a mountain. The mountain had built itself into the base that he was sitting in. So I literally could not reach him. Uh, so ultimately I had to delete my save. And once I played it again, restarted, it only took an hour to get past where I was the first time. It doesn't give you much as far as tutorial or it doesn't hold your hand much at all. So the first five hours I played was a lot of just figuring out what needed to happen and trying to figure out how to survive, which wasn't what I expected from the game. I thought it was more exploration heavy, and it is, but the whole time you're you're trying to watch your shields and your life support system, you're constantly having to find resources to plug in there to keep them going. Uh, after a while, it becomes kind of second habit. You're just constantly thinking about, oh, I need space in my inventory. Let me just fill up my life meter again kind of thing. I think it'll get boring quick, honestly, because I've heard hour one is the same as hour 25 and all the hours between where you're just, yeah, you got a, a drill and you're drilling to find materials. That's most of the game. It sounds kind of Minecrafty, and I've heard other people say it's kind of like Minecraft in space type thing, but does it have that same kind of draw? Uh, well, you can't create. It plays a lot like Minecraft, but you're not building anything. Uh, all you're building is like mods for your gun or your weapons and whatnot, which you would be doing in any game nowadays. You're not building like a, a castle or roller coaster or something. So there's no creation side. It's just all exploration. The planets do have variety. Some are toxic. Some are all water. Some are all dirt. Uh, some are jungles. Uh, one, you know, one planet I was on, it was snowing. So there's variety in that, but sometimes you'll be in a galaxy you don't know what the planet's like till you get to the planet and you're using up resources to travel from planet to planet or a space system to the solar system to solar system. So they might as all w well be the same thing because you, you got to travel to them anyway to figure out what they are. There is sort of a loose story where you're following an objective from system to system to try and get the next mod or upgrade so there is, it does lead you somewhat if you want it to, but you can just stay on one planet forever. I think they said it would take weeks if you wanted to walk around a planet, like weeks in real time. Wow. But you're kind of seeing the same thing over and over. Um, They're like one biome planets. It's like, you know, Tatooine, it's the desert planet. Hoth is the ice planet. It's not, sure. it's not like, you know, Earth where, you, where depending upon where you are, it can be something completely different. Mm, not not that much. I mean, it, there are planets that are mountains and water uh, and cold elements on top of the mountains, but not the way Earth is. Not that I've seen so far. I've been on maybe 30 planets or 25 planets around there. And there's variety between them, but nothing like, like Earth. And I have met several aliens, maybe, well, several being like five or six. So it is exciting when you find an alien or somebody else, or something else out there. It is exciting, just because there's so much space. And all the planets are basically uninhabited. There's no cities, anything like that. There's just outposts, which are maybe... The most I've seen is maybe three buildings in an outpost, and they're all pretty small. So, hmm. the game, as far as exploration, have you, did you ever see Robinson Crusoe on Mars? Oh, yeah. Okay, it's I've that... I've seen it a game. couple of times. Yeah, it's the video game of that. That kind of has a draw to me. I, uh... My issue is the initial reports of the PC port are having some serious issues, so I haven't picked it up yet. Because if people who have really amazing systems are having frame rate issues, my 
my middle mid-range system is not going to be real happy. So I'm going to wait until they get some patches out and I start hearing that things are fixed. But it, this is a game that's interested me for a while, and I've watched some videos and seen some reviews and this and that. And you're playing on the PS4, and I hear that doesn't have any is- real issues at all other than minor stuff. Yeah, I've heard reports of it freezing. Um, but that has not happened to me. There was an issue. If you use the, if you pre-ordered the game, you got a ship. And if you use that ship right away, it'll let you jump to a different solar system. But once you do that, you've bypassed where the story gives you the hyperdrive to jump between systems and you're out of fuel. You can't make any more fuel to do so. So you're stranded in this other system, uh, which is what <laughs> I did as well. So I was stuck in that system and my objective was inside a mountain. So if you're playing, if you're listening to this podcast, wait until you get your hyperdrive, wait until you can build everything, and then upgrade your ship. So it's not a skip the tutorial game. No, <laughs> a no. A little no, bit no. of a tutorial there is from the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Stick to the tutorial. And you can get through it. If you know what you're doing, like I said, I got past that in uh, under an hour. Um, I think it, it'll be the kind of game I'll come back to. Like, I just want to relax and play for an hour and... I don't want to think. I would do that with the Lego games. I just want to smash stuff for an hour. I don't have to think about anything. I used to do it with Puzzle Quest. You're talking about Gems of War, uh, same developers. Puzzle Quest was my go-to when I was like, I wanted to play a game, but I was tired too, and I wanted to fall asleep. So I played Puzzle Quest you know, every month for years because I could play for an hour. And I see that being the same way with No Man's Sky. Oh, I want to go check out some planets. I could see my kids. Like if I... They, if I was teaching them uh, dual stick controls, which are kind of hard to understand, I, th- I think at first, this is a good game. You don't really get into trouble unless you want to get into trouble as far as enemies attacking you. So I think they could wander around and find some cool animals. Uh, the animals in it are cute, and my kids, are they get excited when I see a, a dinosaur-looking animal or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it looked, uh, a lot of the animals seem to look a little, it's like, oh, they're all a little different, but they're all kind of samey from a lot of the videos I saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they're, 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 you can tell they're different, but you can also tell they're all built from the exact same palette. Right. Yeah, so. you, you have a scanner, you're supposed to scan every animal and every plant, and holding it up, it'll kind of zone in on what you haven't scanned yet, and sometimes it'll tell me, oh, you've already scanned this animal. And I'll think it like, oh, I thought it was new. Or it'll say, it'll start scanning it. And I'm like, oh, I thought I was trying to get that plant over there because I didn't, haven't seen that before. Not this <laughs> animal I thought I've seen before. Interesting. We were watching Wreck-It Ralph and the Candyland world that he's in looks a lot like this. Uh, it's kind of a unique, it's a unique locations. and Yeah, yeah I like the art style. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of a soothing. The art style is kind of soothing, I guess is. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I was watching a video of a guy playing, uh, and he's running around, and he comes up to this like giant boulder of gold, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I'm just going to explode this giant boulder of gold because it's gold, and I want gold. So, well, that's another issue though, is there's no real physics engine. Like if you blow out the bottom of that gold chunk, the whole chunk doesn't fall down; it just stays in the air. So one time I landed on top of a gold chunk that was maybe like a hundred feet tall. And I got out of my ship and fell down, and then I had to, if I destroyed the gold, I couldn't get back to my ship. So I had to, like, carve a staircase out of the gold to, like, work my way back up. Oh. <laughs> um, it does give you the option to reload a previous save instead of the last save. It'll give you two save files, so if you screw yourself, you can go back 
an additional step, which is nice. So you don't have to full on start over, start over. Right. Hopefully you get back far enough. You need, if you make a mistake, you need to kind of realize it. So it doesn't save twice. But, uh, in this, in this case, I was okay. If I couldn't have made it to the top, it's an odd game. But one nice thing is that for the company, they've got, it feels like they've got all their eggs in this basket. Like this is their banner title. So they should be good with doing patches and updates and adding content uh, for a while. There is no DLC for the game announced. Patches anyway. and stuff seem to be the big thing. I mean, there's been a lot of games lately that have had rough launches that have actually ended up pretty good by the time they got done patching them and sure. fixing yeah. them. So hopefully that'll be. Like I said on the. I know there's the issues on the PC side that I'm. I'm gonna. I'm just waiting for because it's still something I want to try. I just. Until I know that it's going to actually run better than five frames a second, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. waste my time. And I don't have a PS4, so I can't just grab the PS4 version or else I would do that. Well, and I think kind of this mediocre early reviews might send the price down to 40 bucks in the next month or two. Kind of a Battleborn thing where they need to sell these copies and they'll lower the price to do it. I think people wanted Fallout 4 with 18 quintillion planets. I did. Like that yeah. type of thing where you're running into, into cool stuff all the time. Yeah, that would have been insane and awesome. Yeah. I think I was hoping more for uh, Star Citizen, but released. <laughs> yeah. It's coming, right? I don't They're know. They're still working I don't on follow, it. I don't follow Star Citizen. I just meant, you know, when I, I expected more space exploration than what this is uh, and the idea of the that the planets might have like an import, not just to constantly resupply. So the whole survival thing, like the, you know, I'm hearing good things about learning the alien languages and stuff. The more Minecraftian elements seem to be going over really well for people who like that sort of thing. But for those of us who, when we saw the first trailers and weren't following along with this, we're thinking more along the lines of wing commander with planets. And Mm -hmm. that's not what it is. So my interest in the game is is very low myself, but it's just as well because I doubt my PC could ha- could handle it. And since I don't have a PS4 either, yeah, there's nuggets of a great game in there. So No Man's Sky two or three is going to be really good. Just waiting for them to, or even just some the right DLC launches probably would help. Well, them. Yeah, they said there will be no paid DLC, but they might. I would hope they would add certain things. You just mentioned yeah. the language thing. That's probably the coolest part of the game for me. Your aliens talk to you no matter what, and you just learn random words now and then. So I might know 20 words of their language. So when they talk to me, I might understand two or three words. Yeah, and that's one of the things a lot of the reviews, a lot of the reviews have been positive about has been the, uh, that alien involvement, um, resonates pretty well and some people like the survival elements found it a little it seemed like a lot of people found it somewhat challenging early on Uh, i think the comparisons to dark souls were a little overblown but yeah no nothing like that but (laughs) just i'm i'm i mean like i i've I've, i know someone mike who co-hosted with us on uh the e3 episode he's got no man's sky and so he he let me know a few things about it but he's like it's not like I'm dying all the time. Like, okay, well then it's not dark souls. Cause I may not have played no man's sky, but I have played dark souls. And that is, I mean, it's brutality is, is renowned for a reason. So yeah, dark souls, you die 30 times the first hour. This one I've died twice total period in the both playthroughs. I've only died twice. 
All right. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we had someone on who actually played the game because I meant we could have some decent coverage here. Let's go ahead and transition. I uh, And I guess my segue will be that I'm even with the reviews not being as glowing as I think uh, a lot of people were hoping for No Man's Sky, the, the studio I'm sure will do very well with the number of sales that they are having, mm-hmm. unlike 38 Studios, <laughs> yeah. which for those that aren't familiar, just a brief recap, 38 Studios was a video game company. It was founded by the famous Red Sox pitcher, Kurt Schilling, and they moved to Rhode Island back uh, in like the 2010, 2012 sort of time frame, because they were given a $75 million loan from the state. Uh, a company collapsed into bankruptcy in 2012. They only ever released one game, uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. And at the time, I believe they were working on some sort of MMO that was kind of in the same world. And the, they were in the news recently, basically a week ago, and that is because the criminal investigation concluded and the state of Rhode Island determined that they were not going to pursue criminal charges against 38 Studios. But there are some civil cases related to this that are still ongoing that kind of revolve around the lack of transparency in terms of how the state allocated the, that loan. And, you know, kind of all really hinging, all of this is really hinged on the idea that the taxpayers got ripped off by 38 studios, be it deliberately or just through ineptness. So I guess uh, to, to lead off on it, have, have any of you played Kingdoms of Amalur? I have. Yeah, I played it on the Xbox 360. What'd you think of it? I thought it was fun. Um, I didn't get too far in, but uh, it played similar to Fable, I'd say, or Dragon's Dragon Age. It was good. I don't know, solid, but kind of forgettable too. Yeah, I I, uh, I downloaded the demo on the Xbox 360, and I played through the demo, and it wasn't enough to convince me to buy it. But yeah, I, it kind of gave me like the single player Warcraft vibe. I've heard others do the comparison to Fable. I've only played Fable two and three, and I guess the combat in Fable one was different, and this mimicked that version of the combat. So most people I know that uh, have at least said you know middling to positive things about the game. It wasn't a hated game. My no. brother in law loves Kingdoms of Amalur. He still, if I ever mention it, ever you know bring up something like this uh, this situation with thirty eight studios, he goes Kingdoms of Amalur was a great game. It's like. Well, not great enough to sell, I guess, but, but a lot of, anyway, there's a lot of love for it. I guess my thoughts, I just wanted to bring this up because it was, you know, video game news. And before No Man's Sky, this was really the only news I had to go off of. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm not surprised that the criminal case was dropped. The whole thing on that had to hinge on intent. And I don't mm-hmm. think, I mean, Kurt Schilling is known for being a bit of a loudmouth, but that his company was poorly run. It's still it's a big stretch to all of a sudden jump to the idea that, well, no, he wanted to they wanted to steal seventy five million dollars, which was never the impression anyone got. It's just but they made a ton of mistakes, but they had a pretty deep talent pool. It wasn't on the creation department where they had trouble. It was more in the managerial or the administration of the company itself. But what I do think is interesting is. Uh, though it would be more interesting for a political podcast, would be what this brings up regarding economic development and involvement in governments using taxpayer funds to help encourage it. Uh, and that kind of gets more into towards my day job sort of stuff. But uh, I just thought it was really interesting because it was a big black eye for the industry. Uh, and to me, the analogy, jumping back to our prior segment, would be you think about the damage done with the pinball failures of Zidware and Skit B. This is such a larger scale than that, 
But it's also different because it wasn't the individual consumers that were damaged. It was the entire taxpaying base of Rhode Island. So I think my, my generalized take is that uh, governments are probably going to be a lot more skeptical doing economic development packages with video game developers because they're going to look at the mess that 38 Studios was and they're going to say, we don't want to live through that. Let's just throw, let's just throw it into another amusement park. Yeah, whoever okayed that loan, uh, that, that tax break, they're the ones who should get fired. And 38 Studios, it's not a crime to run your business poorly, and they suffer the consequences by losing their business. But $75 million, I live in a really poor state, and that is so much money for our state. I don't know about uh, Maryland, because they got Baltimore and whatnot, but. Or it was Rhode Island, sorry. Rhode yeah, Island. They, yeah, they pulled them from Massachusetts, I believe, over into Rhode Island. Yeah. I don't know if it was just a hop across the – but no, it wasn't because I, I recall the – I mean, the, the families uprooted and, you know, went with the company and, you know, it was all – it was a real big a real big thing. And this was during the – you know, when the governments were still being really hit by the 2008 recession because sure. the taxpayer base recovery has been – it always lags versus when the economy tanks on the governmental side, so – just has to do with how the tax collections work so i mean it was a big deal for them to do it then uh, i saw also this week probably just coincidentally the civil suit is moving forward against wells fargo which was involved in doing the loan approval mm. and the accusations there are that they were deliberately hiding things from the public when they did it is my sense it's a transparency claim and so the the judge is advancing that so the state might still be able to recover something the civil suits aren't against 38 studios they're against the individuals that were involved in approving the loan. Do you think? Do you think there's just too many games? There's too many companies grabbing the same, you know, grabbing out of the same pot of dollars from the public. Not necessarily. I think in this case, it, what it really came down to, and I, I, without going into because I don't really know how the company internally was run, the release of Kingdoms of Amalur, I think, was handled very poorly. It came out just after Skyrim did. Oh yeah. So dumb. <laughs> that's dumb. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, you have, that's, you have to- I mean, that's what that's kind of the same thing with the Battleborn release and Overwatch type thing. You sure, two yeah, games I think it's a good analogy. Similar dropped, and one of them just dominates, and the other one's wiped out because of it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so while I think the video gaming public could consume the number of RPGs that are coming out, they can't if they're stacked together like that. And so you could say, well, they could just wait and then buy it later. But are they going to remember to? And how long are they going to spend in Skyrim? I mean, Skyrim is Fallout negative one. So I'm sorry, I'm more of a Fallout fan. But the uh, <laughs> but the idea is, you know, people putting 100 plus hours into those games is not unheard of, especially on the PC side with the modding. So it's just you had a game decent, possibly good, depending on your impression. But compared to Skyrim, it was nothing. So it was a it was a an ant and the ant was crushed and that was what all their capital to keep going was going to come from. And they were living off of the loan from Rhode Island games hardly ever maintain their full retail price for more than two, three months. They're almost always down to 40 bucks right away. I mean, call of duty and Nintendo first party games are about it. Uh, maybe some Madden games for, yeah, for a game like that, you knew it was going to be 40 bucks in no time, 20 bucks. Okay, well, let's move on over to some hardware news. Uh, Xbox One S, we've talked about it previously, and it is now finally actually available for purchase. Uh, Reviews have been pretty positive. Uh, It's 40% smaller, and a lot of people are saying, you know, 
just how shockingly noticeable it is. I don't know why that's surprising. 40% would be fairly significant, you would think, but I guess people weren't, they just saw the photo of it and they didn't see it side by side to a original Xbox One. So anyway, the power brick's now internal, even with that shrinkage, which if you've seen an original Xbox One, the power brick is massive. It's bigger than a normal brick, like a brick for a house. So, I mean, it's pretty significant. Uh, the main thing to note uh, feature-wise that was different besides the size change is that it kind of supports 4K. And by kind of, I mean it will upscale to 4K for video games, but it's not true 4K. However, it is true 4K if you have Blu-rays that actually are 4K. So for movie-consuming people that purchase Blu-rays, that may be an attractive incentive. Uh, the main thing on the video game front that is attracting some attention is that the console supports HDR. So if you have an HDR, uh, which I believe stands for high dynamic range, uh, you plug that into an HDR TV, which those TVs are pretty new. So gen- generally, if you've got a TV that's older than a year old, you almost assuredly do not have the HDR feature. But it lets you have uh, more the the range on the color is more noticeable. So like the blacks are blacker and the whites are wider sort of thing. And you just fill out that range more. Um, let's see. Some other tidbits I've read about it are the um, intensive testing has shown that they have actually overclocked the graphics card on this version, but we're talking really slight uh, around 4%. So you would not visually be able to see it as a human being. Uh, and so I guess just without that summary, it's been selling like gangbusters. So the reviews have been really good. I heard Europe's already sold out of the two terabyte version. And interestingly, Microsoft, uh, I can't say they've exactly been coy, but they were asked because the word came out that they were not going to sell any more two terabyte versions of it. And that what Europe got and is sold is that's it other than special editions like the Gears of War thing and all that. Uh, and they seem their their response to that query didn't say yes. They clear cut say, yes, we are not selling anymore. However, they didn't say they w- that they were going to sell some more. So it sounds like the kind of by silence have confirmed that they really aren't making any more of those. So I guess, you know, it's sort of a, I thought it'd be an interesting thing to sort of cover. I didn't know if this was going to convince any, anyone, any of you two to get Xbox ones. Cause I don't think either of you own one um, or what you think about the, the sort of this technology spec stuff. The rumor mill says that uh, Sony's PS4 Neo is coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting really late in the year and they still haven't announced. There's still another big event coming up where we can expect an announcement. I assume Regardless, Xbox's Project Scorpio is expected for the holidays of next year, and obviously that's going to be significantly specced higher than what the One S is. So, just thought uh, I wanted to get some thoughts from you guys, and you know what what you think about Xbox One S. What I maybe if you want to weigh in broader on the strategy that Microsoft seems to be trying to do because they have been lagging compared to the PS4 sales. It's hard to know exactly because they don't release the numbers anymore. The generalized sense based off of uh, sort of proxy figures is that uh ps4 outsells xbox one two to one well yeah the uh one of the heads of ea he leaked how many uh copies they were producing i guess for xbox one and it led people to believe that there was they're making it they'd sold a third the amount of xbox ones as ps4s but that was over the winter so you had mentioned the two terabyte version they're not making anymore is it just going to be one terabyte my understanding is that there's going to be a one terabyte uh it's kind of a souk and then a, and a half terabyte. So right. they've Why got different flavors. 
The whole benefit what, now is, to me, the major benefit would be it's two terabyte. Yeah, like you said, nobody has a 4K TV, or a few people do. It doesn't play Ultra HD, which is kind of the new Blu-ray, right? To my knowledge, no, just just the because Blu-ray, that would be the cheapest Ultra HD player by far. Those are like six hundred dollars to eight hundred, I think, or even more. Yeah, I, I do have an Xbox One. I got it um, when they really got cheap. Oh yeah, like maybe two years ago, almost two years ago. It's fine, but the memory is one of the hardest things because almost every game is like fifty gigs, so two terabytes would be huge. And you can add an additional external drive, but that's another hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah, and that's what I ended up doing. Is I have a, I think I have a five gig external that I, uh-huh. I bought. An, actually, I bought an internal and then put it in an external case and then stuck that in for about a hundred. Because the, uh, yeah, the price differentials on these models, which I, I didn't, I didn't note, but it's the one terabyte will sell for fifty bucks less than what the two terabytes were selling for, and then it's another fifty bucks off. For the half terabyte, so it'll be a hundred dollars spread between the low end model and the high end model. Yeah, pay the hundred bucks if you can get a two terabyte. If you don't have one, I think it's a home run. I mean, why not? If you want an Xbox One, you don't have one. But yeah, I, I don't feel like upgrading. There's no need to. And it looks like size wise, it's the size of a PS4 now, pretty much. I saw an Xbox One S laying on top of a PS4, and they're about the same size. Whereas yeah, my they- Xbox One's about twice the size. Yeah, it's massive. It's a it's a big ugly black box. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, uh I I don't know what the you know the I guess the question is to why they wouldn't want to keep selling the two terabyte, especially since they sold out so quickly. Right. Uh, I, I guess the thought is that their their initial and perhaps final number of units being made was so low because of the concern that the sales would fall through the floor once the Neo hits. And they're going to bank on Scorpio being their actual big sort of resurgence attempt. And so they didn't want to make too many Xbox One S's and then no one want to buy them because 14 months later, they want to buy the Scorpio, which if the specs that were leaked for the Scorpio and leaked for the Neo are true, the Scorpio is going to be approximately 40% more powerful than the Neo is. And so that they, you know, that that's going to be the strategy is they're going to try and beat Sony on the power side, which they've never done before, you know, and the thought would be, well, but the Xbox One S essentially is the same power as the original Xbox. It just has some 4K movie features and HDR, and we'll be able to give all that in the Scorpio. So that it's just really for people that still want an Xbox, but they didn't want it enough to, and they, you know, with the connect baggage and all that. And so I, I don't know, it's, it's one theory, but. Yeah, the blunder was announcing the Scorpio right now. They should have just let the S do its thing, let the Neo come out, and then boom, they got the Scorpio ready to go to counter the Neo. I don't think they would have announced the Scorpio if the specs hadn't leaked. I think they, I think they felt their hand was forced. I think oh. their E3 presentation was just going to be the One S, and that's why you just had that weird sizzle reel at the end where they were having developers talk about their experience with the dev kits, the mm-hmm. alpha dev kits on the Xbox uh, Project Scorpio, and so they because it was so weird. Why would you ever announce two different consoles? You you right. do one and be like, here is the slightly better version of what we've currently got, which answers some of the concerns you all have had hard drive too small unit too big stupid power brick is a weapon and, and change all of that and then say oh but you know what you should probably just wait a year and a half and then get the really good machine well see and as a non-console player 
between the announcement of the Neo and the Scorpio, I see no, I have no desire for a one S because I don't see why I wouldn't just wait until I could get a Neo. If I wanted to go the PlayStation route or a Scorpio, when they're going to obviously be so close to coming out at this release date, I think, I think the same thing. I think their hand was pushed and they had to do something. That's a good point. It's, I think they are supposed to announce the Neo next month, but they're also announcing the NX next month. The rumors are, so it's going to be a busy year. It will be, but uh, you know, I if if Sony's reaction is similar to my reaction of the leaked NX specs, I don't think they're worried. <laughs> it's two different products. Uh, yeah, and, they, and they've been so divergent for a while. I don't know if that's Nintendo's intent or that's just sort of how it's ended up ever since the Wii, where they've kind of said, we are our own thing. We're all about our Nintendo products and the shovelware that wants to come out on them. Uh, not no, not meaning that towards the the primary Nintendo products. I just mean, we ended up having a lot of... It's kind of funny to me because... I'm thinking back to the old NES days where there was the Nintendo seal of approval that was on almost Word all the games because it. it was all that 1984 Atari video game crash and everyone's trying to reassure people. And mm. now, with, well, with the Wii, I'm not, I don't know any on the Wii U, but on the Wii, it just got like, oh my gosh, this turned into the phone app store. What is all this crap? But uh, <laughs> well, so yeah, is the I Xbox One. Xbox One has a ton of crappy arcade oh, games yes. just leaking oh, out yes. every and week. So many, they don't advertise them. Mm-hmm. They just come out. I don't think they have any seal of approval type. No, thing. no, they don't. They just need to get the certification. And there have been a lot of gamers who have complained about it. But you know, I my sense is Microsoft felt they had to do it because Sony's attack line when they were pumping the PS4 up was that Microsoft is hard to publish on. They make it very difficult for arcade games to come out. There was a lot of criticism about the old rules that were that were there. And then you had people like Phil Fish who were uh, coming out publicly and really attacking how Microsoft's certification on the 360 was. And so they just kind of said, okay, we're Steam now. We're just going to let everything come out. I wish and then we can say... Uh, yeah, and in a lot of ways, I agree. Look at me playing Ben Hur. What's wrong with me? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. This is madness. But yeah, it, it's sort of twisted so that they're able to now say we really support the indie developer. And so yeah, now you get they soda drinker Paro. It supported the consumer with the 360 having sure. a demo for every arcade game. I had over 300 arcade games on the 360 just because I yeah I'll try this. Why not? Oh, I like it. I'm going to pay ten bucks for it. Now yep. they look like garbage, and you can't try them. How would you ever know if you're well, and, and Steam's kind of got the same thing going on with their green because they were doing their green light for a while, and now it seems like any indie developer can put anything out on Steam. If you look at like the Steam's release list, now I don't know if Xbox and has the same issue, but uh, like Steam's weekly release list, like ninety percent of it is like RPG Maker stuff that somebody's put together in their thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'll sell this for five bucks, and it's all. I mean, it's just a sheer amount of insanity that. There's so many people developing games and so many games being developed by just one or two guys or or girls or whatever that it's not – some of them are amazing and some of them are just what they are. I mean, like last year we had Undertale, which was amazing, and Rebel Galaxy that was amazing. And those were both developed by very, very small teams. I think Undertale was one guy and Rebel Galaxy was two. Huh, that, that's interesting. Rebel Galaxy just hit PS4. And I was playing it last week, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't bad. I'd never heard of it. It looks weird, but yeah, it came out. It came out last like October on okay. uh, the computer, and it, it's like a two man development team, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, yeah. it's a fun little space game. Yeah. But there's been a lot of those lately. But 
it just amazes me when I look up the new releases. It's like, wow, there's like 500 new releases today. And you scroll through them and there might be one good, one good game. Maybe not the, including like triple A titles, but do the good stuff. Does do the good games float to the top? Eventually, eventually they do. You like, I mean, when undertale was initially released, it didn't take long before everybody was spouting how just wonderful undertale was. And there were some uh, some other games that have done that where it's been like it and my like Undertale it didn't look like it was an amazing game to look at but it had an actual its gameplay and everything was amazing or like what was that other game that I played la- that came out like a uh, Super Hot Super Hot oh, doesn't yeah. look that interesting but it's actually really fun and it's just an insane little game I don't know it's Maybe there are too many people out there. Maybe there's not enough curation anymore. I think that might just be the problem. Because it seems like if you make a game, you can release it on any platform and just let it see what happens. Which can be good, but at the same time, it's like, man, you feel bad. It's like, man, you spent like five years making this game, and it's terrible. And then everyone forgets right away. Right. Five years of your life are gone. Yeah, that's a... I don't know. I think that might be something that we're going to see changing. Maybe there'll be more curation appearing in the next few years as more as this happens. Or maybe this is just what the status quo is going to be for a while. Well, if they make Steam the Wild West and then the you know cherry pick from that to put on, get picked up by EA to put on Origin maybe, or to bring to consoles where only the best come to there. That's not a terrible idea, honestly. I mean, that would let the Steam and the PC crowds weed through the worst of the stuff and everything else get cleaned up. I've played one PC game in the past, I don't know, four years, and it's Undertale because nobody would shut up about it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was for I don't know how many weeks listening to video game podcasts after Undertale came out. That was like the only discussion was Undertale. And if you didn't want it spoiled, you had to play it right then. Right. And I didn't. I didn't play it yeah. right then. I started playing it, oh. you know, a few months ago. But by that point, everything had been spoiled. So the magic wasn't the same for me as it must have been for the people who played it with no spoilers. Hmm. Yeah, the story on that was killer. Well, speaking of magic, we have our final <laughs> video game topic, which actually has nothing to do with magic. But, oh. uh, unfortunately. <laughs> However, like, it huh? may be... Ma- no, it has to do with technology. So the magic of, and what is the difference between technology and magic? Often it's just ignorance. So Battletech, apparently there was a Battletech Kickstarter. I knew nothing about this, but Tony knows all sorts of things about it. So Tony, please tell us about the super pre-alpha first look that happened regarding this Battletech. Yeah, the Battletech Kickstarter happened uh, last October and it was run by, uh, it's by Hairbrain Schemes. They're the guys who put out the new uh, uh Shadowrun games, the three new Shadowrun games that have come out just recently. It's a turn-based mech combat game, kind of like the old mech commanders uh, that came out that is going to be on computer. And it's uh, Battletech set in the 3025, and they just released a pre, a super pre-alpha uh, video. And we'll have a link to the, to the video because they sent it out to all the backers and said to share it. And it looks amazing for a pre-alpha, for a super pre-alpha. I, I was surprised because their art looks 
awesome and it seemed to play pretty well it's still real buggy there's still a lot of things not in it but for something that's a that that is pre-alpha it looks really good and it really increased the interest in the game that was already pretty huge the kickstarter was in was huge was a huge kickstarter and they went ahead and they opened up a uh late backer uh group for people to get in uh, that wanted to get on to it after seeing the videos that hadn't been in on the original Kickstarter. The video leaked, and after the video leaked, there were a lot of people like, we want this game, and they're like, okay, we'll set up a pre-order for you. So there's nothing they're trying to reach. It's not like it's not like Star Citizen. They're just, they're like, okay, if you want a pre-order, here's a pre-order tier. I watched a little bit of the video, and for pre-alpha, it did look really good. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's I think it's a very directed game. I mean, it's if you're not a BattleTech person, I'm I'm a hardcore BattleTech person. And I have been since the early '90s. So for me, this is you know dream game bread and butter type thing. But uh, they've uh, I'm pretty happy with how it looks. They also announced that uh, they did they did a lot of really big physical rewards tiers, and theirs are shipping now. They're starting to get pictures of they've arrived. I'll put mine pictures up when mine stuff arrives. It's not come in yet, but I'm going to be a late shipper because of what all I I went a little insane on it. So I backed so the you, higher tier. Oh, so you didn't like back the little have my name in the credits for ten bucks tier? No, I'm 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 getting a bomber jacket and <laughs> oh my gosh. wall hangings and. Yeah, I could have bought a pinball machine. <laughs> wow, <laughs> a, a cheap pinball machine. I mean, I, I I could have bought a cheap pinball machine, but yeah, I I backed at the uh, the elite Mech Warrior tier, which was uh, two seventy five. So yeah, I'm okay. insane. Yeah, I have actually. I've had two. I've had two pinball machines that I bought for less than that. <laughs> uh, not combined, but individually. Yeah, EMs, of course, but the. Um, I, I also watched some of the some of the footage, and yeah, I thought graphically it looked pretty good. You know, I don't know. Whenever I think mech games, I just assumed it was going to be real time, not turn based. Well, yeah, they've done a lot. There's a lot of mech warrior and BattleTech based uh, real time games out there, and this that's why this one's this one they were going for a certain feel. This one's designed to be a lot like the tabletop game, which is what I I the first tabletop game that I really broke my teeth on when I was started gaming back in the nineties was the tabletop game and it uses a lot of similarities to that and it'll play a lot like that. So that's why I, one of the big reasons it did so huge and why I was so interested in it. When did you back it? When did the Kickstarter end? Uh, it ended in October of last year, I think. Oh wow. That's really fast to have. Something yeah. Playable and out there. they're they're uh, Yeah. They, they had the demo playable at Gen Con and they're going to, uh, their current goal is for release next May. So they were looking at a year and a half is production, basically. Awesome. Well, uh, speaking of Gen Con, I think this would be a good time to go ahead and segue into the final s- section of the podcast, which would be the tabletop section. And Tony, I know you've pulled a, a few uh, more tabletop-oriented items uh, for discussion that were driven from what came out of Gen Con. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Yeah, there were a whole lot of games at Gen Con that got uh, announced and demoed this year. Uh, I did not get to go to Gen Con this year. I'll go one of these years. It's just didn't happen again this year, but, uh, I've been following some people and I went ahead and I picked out, I picked out like 10 and then I realized how long this episode was going to be already. So I just picked two of the 10 I picked out. 
uh, to throw into the list to talk about this time around. I was going to ask, what does Gen Con mean? Uh, Gen Con is, it started out as, I want to say Genesis Con or something like that. Or no, no, oh. Geneva Con. Because it oh. was originally in Lake Geneva, Michigan is where the convention started. And it was a uh, big like RPG con. And mm-hmm. as it grew, they moved to Minneapolis. And then when they got really huge, they came down to Indianapolis and they're currently the biggest gaming con in the U.S. and I think probably the world. For okay, I, was, I thought it was an acronym stuff. or something. Gaming, entertainment, something. No, it started out because it was in Lake Geneva, Michigan is where it was started. Cool. Okay, so sorry. that's the uh, – and it's it's enormous. I uh, the pe- When I went, like I said earlier, when I went uh, to the board game night, there were several people there who'd gone, so they had a – uh, they brought some games from there, one of which we're going to talk about. But uh, uh, the first one I was going to talk about, we didn't get a chance to play. They didn't get it picked up because it was sold out. Is the uh, There's a Harry Potter. It's a Harry Potter Hogwarts battle coming out. You're a wizard, Harry. It's my personal favorite type of game. It is a deck building game. And it is a cooperative deck building game. So you're not actually fighting each other. It's you and your friends playing against the deck. Uh, and the way the game is set up, is it teaches you book by book. You play game, you play the book one game and you learn some of how the game plays. And then you add the cards from book two into the deck and you play the game again and you're, uh, you, it adds more and it goes through all seven books like that. So you slowly build yourself, build your way up with you and your friends playing against the, uh, various enemies that are added with each book. And it's, uh, all about the, uh, there's all the big villains from Harry Potter. So the big Harry Potter people are into it and this and that, but I just like cooperative deck building games and watching a demo of it. It looked really easy and fun. So that was one of my big draws on this one. I like the idea of it being cooperative. I was thinking about castle panic yesterday. You're kind of going after one main objective. You're not fighting against each other. And I think with our friend group, games like that would be more successful. I don't know anything about Harry Potter, really. It looked like from the video you posted, uh, it's based on the films, or at least they used the licensing. They used the licensing from the films, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it, it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's not like Castle Panic, like Castle Panic, but it's the same type, the whole working together thing. Yeah, yeah. Not the which same game is, type. With our, that's how we play in a lot of our groups too. We play either games that are very cooperative or games that don't allow you to be quite so directly attacking other players. Like we play, uh, 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 Sentinels of the Multiverse and, uh, games like that where you're, where, and that's what Sentinels of the Multiverse is. This is a cooperative game where you're playing against a villain who's built out of the deck. And that's one of my favorite games. And it's not actually a deck building game, but it is a lot of fun. But I like cooperative games. Uh, Pandemic is a cooperative game that can be won no matter what Dennis says. And <laughs> I actually, I bought that game and I still haven't played it with anybody. It's a fun game. I enjoy Pandemic. It can be incredibly hard and it can be really, really frustrating because nine times out of 10, if you lose, you lose just on the cusp of victory. So it's not oh, like no. you get wiped out. It's we're almost, Oh, Oh, we lost, oh. which is, can be kind of frustrating, but I like co-op games. They're, they're a lot of fun. And I think this one, it has the, with the design and draw and it's being simpler. I think it has a good draw at, especially for kids, uh, 
because you know kids get really into Harry Potter and and the younger kids will, can learn it as it steps up and it should be a lot of fun. I think it's just going to be a nice little family-ish game. Yeah, I think it uh I really like the idea of the progression they've got with the books with the adding of more and more cards. I uh favor cooperative games a lot for tabletop settings because I think it's always a little awkward if you're playing with casuals, which would often be someone like me. And so you're having to have the rules constantly explained. It always seems a little awkward when it's a versus game. And so your opponent is essentially trying to teach you how to play while they are destroying you at the same time. I mean, it kind of works, but in a way it doesn't because it, it seems so awkward because you're also trying to legitimately play the game and you're realizing you're having to reveal everything to the opponent because he's the only one who can teach you. Uh, deck building, I'm not particularly partial to versus other cooperative forms. I generally like all cooperative forms, but... Um, yeah, I think this looks interesting. So, uh, I, cause I could see it possibly looking at how the, the sort of layout with the table and all the cards going out, I could see it being overwhelming to first time players, but since it's cooperative, uh, there's no reason why, as long as one person had at least a little bit of experience with it, that it wouldn't go smoothly. So yeah, I think it looks like it'd be a lot of fun, but I guess it was sold out. Yeah, it was sold out. They didn't, they, nobody there got it. So I didn't get a chance to play it. Your, your overview has made me a lot more interested being not a Harry Potter guy. I'm tired yeah, of getting destroyed at Dominion and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first couple of times I ever played Dominion, it was... I like Dominion, but man, it is... It can be rough. Yeah, we, we have a friend. He'll play his whole deck twice on his turn. Like, okay, guy. <laughs> Can't take you, this. Yeah, that, see, that's the kind of, that's one of the reasons I like. And like I said, I play with, I mean, the group that we play with a lot, there's a lot of casuals. And like when I go to the board games night, board game nights, it tends to break into these segments where there's more casual players and then there's the more hardcore players. And you tend to know who's who and you settle in where. I'm pretty good with any of them, really. But yeah, the, I think for casuals, cooperative games work better. And I think they're becoming more common. Uh, it's not like the old days where you sit down and set up and play a 12 hour game of risk where you're just basically beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. That's well, I fun. think from a development standpoint, it's harder. It's harder for the game developers to make a balanced cooperative game because you have to come up with, I mean, especially if there's a randomization to the nature of the opponents. So, because it's all essentially automated. So they have to figure all that out. It's not just like if we were to play Magic the Gathering against each other and I'll use my mind and, and what colors I own versus what you've got. And, you know, we'll come up with what we think is going to work. And the other game I was going to talk about is another wizarding themed game. This one is called Potion Explosion. I did get a chance to, uh, uh, this one was at the game night the other day. And it's a pretty simple game. You're basically all the players are creating potions and the ingredients for the potions are marbles that are set up in a uh, box and there's a bunch of rows in there they come down in rows and when you need a a an ingredient you just pick a single marble out that's your ingredient and then the marbles you know fill back in by rolling down and if two marbles that are the same color hit well you got to pick those ones up too so if i if i picked up a red and there's two blue on one side of it and two blue on the other side and they roll together i get to pick up all four blue and if picking those four blue up cause them to roll together and bring like two yellows together i can pick the yellows up so it just chain reacts so you can fill out the ingredients on your um 
potions. And then once you fully fill in a potion, you just, it, it comes off and you, it has a power that you get to use and it's got a number of victory points on it. And you just, you're, the whole thing is going through building to trying to get the most victory points. It looks really cool. Just looking at the actual board game. So it sounds like it plays like Zuma. Yeah, it you know it does. It plays a lot like Zuma, uh, where the way it chain reacts together. Um, it's I, I was really happy I got to see it because I liked it even more after sitting down. Uh, they were already started the game when I got there, but I sat down and watched them play out the game, the rest of the game, and it was really interesting. It does seem to have a little analysis paralysis when you're going with like hardcore gamers because you just sit there and you're running all the options through your mind but with the people who aren't quite so hardcore the when you when you're avoiding the real try hard they when you're just grabbing and going it tends to be pretty fast and fun and it looks like something that'd be really good for kids uh it's set for eight and up because of the marbles and the whole putting marbles in your mouth thing but um is the box just full of marbles then yes Okay. It, uh, that box is full of marbles. Uh, it's got um, the way it's set up is there's a si- slight slope on the top. So after you after you finish a potion, you pick all your marbles up off the potion, and you throw it on the top of the box, and it rolls down into the slots oh, in the back, and it feeds the troughs. You keep refilling it, then, and you just keep refilling it with the when yeah as you when you finish the potion, those marbles go back in, they refill them into the troughs, and it just keeps cool. going. Uh, the only things. That it might be issueish is um, and not. It's not a surprise. The uh, actual box is made of uh, like paperboard or like kind of thickish cardboard. It's pretty strong, but I can see where it could have some issues after a while. You can't store the marbles actually in the box. You got to pull them out because the weight for extended sitting periods can cause a mess and kind of bend the box some. But there's already people that have been talking on like board game geeks and this and that about looking at uh putting together laser cut wood diagrams so you they'd run it through a laser cutter and put together little thin wood sheets to build a wooden box that matches the exact size and way the paperboard one works. That's what it looked like. I thought it was wood. Yeah, well, that's what I thought looking from the videos and the pictures, but when I actually saw it, it was paperboard, so that was the, that's a little downer, but I mean, it's still, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's not a horrible, it's something that'll have to be seen, I don't know how well it's going to work, for $50, I was expecting wood, honestly, but there's a ton of marbles in it, but it was fun, it was really, it was really enjoyable, even more than I thought it was going to be when I'd originally seen it. Cool. How many players can can participate at once? It's four, I believe. It's four okay. or five. I think it's four. I played a lot of games Friday night. <laughs> I, I'm sure you did. Well, that one, I yeah, it caught it caught my eye. I I like the idea with. I haven't played anything with marbles, and uh, I don't even know. Maybe since I played marbles in the Kerplunk. 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Kerplunk. You know, I don't know if I've ever played Kerplunk. I can't remember. I've seen it. I just don't remember if I ever actually played it. I played it. Solid. <laughs> it's like connect four for bourgeois fancy people i couldn't couldn't i couldn't Ooh. be one of them hoity-toity mm. podcast yeah that's right <laughs> eclectic he, fancy pants mm-hmm. he only plays jenga with solid gold bricks you know right of course <laughs> and for my la- the last little bit in the tabletop section i was wanting to talk about was uh during our last episode we talked about uh having gone to CantCon, and i've been thinking about uh D a lot 
lately since I played it uh, at CantCon, and specifically I've been thinking about character generation, and I've been thinking about uh, Thagash, who was a pre-gen that I was my pre-gen that I started with, and I've actually created a backstory for him now, and I've kind of looking at getting into playing some more D&D 5e, and there's a local RPG group I've been thinking about joining up just to get to play it some more. But as I was looking at it and playing with stuff and thinking about it, I realized that, you know, my favorite part of RPGs, as much fun as they are, is actually the character creation and the backstories, because I like creating the backstories and the histories for the characters. And I said, I've spent an ungodly amount of time this last two weeks building up a character for Thagash, and I've actually built up like another character idea for this game and two character ideas for the um, superhero game that we'd picked up that the name is slipping me and the book is stashed away, so I don't want to grab it right now because I haven't had a chance to go through it yet. And that just had me thinking just on character generation. I, I don't know. I don't know, Don, if you've ever played any RPGs. I've played Heroes Quest. Hero Quest? Here, the, the, the clicker game? No, no, no. It's a board game from the 80s. It has a dungeon master and whatnot. Oh, okay. Oh, uh... Right? Hero Quest? Yeah, Hero Quest. I've heard of it. I haven't played it. But yeah, Uh, it's... it's Yeah, it's a very similar thing if it's the game I'm thinking of. It's a, uh... There's dungeons and stuff, and they get populated when you walk into the room. Yeah, that's pretty similar. There's been a lot of push to do the whole board gaming type things, but, uh... You know, t- you're talking about a board game, right? Or are you talking about a video game? Oh, neither. I'm talking about a pen and paper. Yeah, pen and paper. Okay. Yeah, pen and paper tabletop paper RPGs plays. like yeah, Dungeons and Dragons and and battle. There's a BattleTech one and and there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And they're kind of my. I don't play them often, but I think they're my probably what I would consider my true love of this type of gaming. Because I like the idea of it. I've never played one. I'm not very creative. Even on video games where you create your character, I'm like, yeah, he looks fine. I'll just click, click, click. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, see, and for me, that's for me. That's the whole creation, the backstory creation of the characters and how you interact. And the interacting is fun, but I like the backstory uh, creation thing. I've, I've done this. I actually like a lot of people. I tried to write a book at one time and I realized that I liked creating the world, but when it came time to actually create the stories and write the books, I didn't care that much. I created the world and that made me happy enough. So I, it's a thing I've picked up. I've got a book that I've a uh, journal like thing that I just create characters in sometimes, but I just, I didn't know. I mean, if you, I know Dennis has played some RPGs. And I didn't know if you had, but just how you how people look at the whole character creation because I've played with people who their character creation is literally how hard can I hit something and how quickly can I kill stuff. And then there's people who the only thing they care about is the backgrounds. And I find myself going more into that side of things. I'm more of a background and. RP player and less of being of optimizing my character to be the ultimate murder hobo. Murder hobo, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I play a lot of Skyrim and stuff and Oblivion, so I mean, I'm familiar with creating a character and having to class them and whatnot, but yeah, not in a pen and paper game. Well, they're very similar. Uh, the only difference is, is really that you don't need a whole lot of other people when you're in the video games and typically they give you like backgrounds to choose from, but creating the character and balance and then they're, they're all very similar. I mean, they're taken from the same general 
uh, the video game creation comes from the tabletop stuff that's that started you know back in the 70s and 80s and this and that i i know there's a lot of resources out there to play online and i always highly i mean i highly recommend if you ever get a chance you might try it out uh just for fun i've been looking at getting into an online group because there's a lot of people who play use roll 20 so i've been looking into getting to that just so i can play some more but what is that an online pen and paper type game yeah it's uh, roll 20 is literally a uh, you what you do is you fire up roll 20 and you all talk on skype and roll 20 acts like the tabletop on a pen and paper tabletop it's got the dice you literally type in roll 3d6 and it rolls 3d6 roll 1d20 and it rolls a single d20 and it gives you everything it's it it let it's a completely virtual tabletop for doing that type of gaming um i don't know if you watch a lot of twitch but i know there's a lot of channels on twitch now that they use roll 20 and live cam and they'll live stream their games they play uh that's kind of cool yeah it it's it's something it's something that like when they started in in the 80s and the such you know everybody was you know D was the whole big evil satan coming to steal your kids type stuff and I, I like video games and like so many other things it's kind of becoming more and more mainstream and i think a lot of it has to do with technology but just i like the whole character creation and in video games that's why i like fallouts and skyrims because your character is your character they yeah they give you the backstory but you make your character who you want your character to be and i love yeah. that I've actually, I think on Oblivion, I was a red guard. Like, I was basically a heavy. And so I just made all the opposite decisions of what my gut said when I played Skyrim. I created (laughs) my character, so I was like an elf and whatnot. Just because I wanted a different experience. So I figured the games would be similar. And it was, I'm glad I did. It made me kind of a more well-rounded player without having, you know, to overthink anything. Yeah, well, I, I find that, like, on Fallout, I have to force myself to not be a hyper-stealthy sniper because nine times out of ten, that's the role I, the way I'm going to build my <laughs> guy too. in Fallout is a hyper-stealthy sniper. <laughs> and some of the most fun, one of the most funs I had was in that type of thing was on uh, Fallout New Vegas. I created the lowest possible intelligence guy, and I had him hit stuff. A low intelligence melee guy in New Vegas was hilariously fun. Nice. <laughs> but, no, that's a good, yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Being my Skyrim experience made me that stealthy player. So then I was playing Assassin's Creed, and I was like, I might as well just play that if I'm gonna want to play that type of game. And that's funny in New Vegas. Yeah, I think my next one would be something like that. Just a big dumb with a club. Dumb guy with a club. I play a lot of dumb guys with clubs. I mean, in video games and paper RPGs, this and that. I like being the dumb guy with the club. I, uh, it, 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 I mean, that's how Thugosh started. Was it's like I'm just gonna, oh, I'm gonna take the barbarian. He's intelligence eight and really strong. So, yeah. but I kind of he had fun backstory and I got to feed into it and and this and that and it's a. I, th- I I really enjoy that portion of it is the whole the creation portion. That's just a uh, intera- interacting with the other players by creating something yourself. Well, it's one of the areas that I think uh, video games have been video game RPGs have been weaker on 
is the relevance of the backstory. I was sitting here trying to think of video games. A lot of them will let you choose a backstory for your character. And I'm trying to recall when, if ever, it comes up. And the only example I can really think of is I believe they did do some incorporation in Mass Effect games where Mm -hmm. you would be able to say, like, you survived a colony attack at some point. And that would come up conversationally uh, from time to time. Most video games don't really bother. It might have to do, might let you choose a particular title, or it might just be in the write-up if you, you know, go to read your little character sheet. That doesn't actually involve itself in the gameplay. And in the tabletop RPG setting, it often really can because the personalities mean so much because you don't have the scripted personalities. I mean, even in Mass Effect which I think has some great storytelling, you've basically got the, I'm really nice, or I want to punch you, or you go with a fallout route, you have those same choices, plus the middle choice, which is generally, I'll do the right thing, but you have to pay me. In the tabletop setting, you can have so much different sort of flavor to it. Uh, And it's not an area I'm particularly strong on in terms of, uh, I'm trying to recall if I ever did a whole lot of effort into the backstories. I know on character creation, I definitely min-maxed. Like, if it was cleric time, He's going to be a dwarf because I need the wisdom. I need the maximum <laughs> wisdom. I would never contemplate having a gnome be a cleric because their stats weren't right. You couldn't maximize what was most valuable to the class. So even if I gave personality to my characters, they were always min-maxed racially and class-wise. See, when I was younger, I played. I min-maxed everything. But I found as I get older and the more I get involved, the more I... I, I go for my characters designed around who the character is, even if they're not the most efficient, even if there's, oh, this choice makes sense for who the character is, but it does me no good and it isn't helpful in, to the gameplay of the combat side of the gameplay. A lot of times I found myself, I'll start choosing that choice just because it feeds into the person I'm creating as opposed to just the super Terminator Cobalt killer that I'm built. Oh, sounds cool. I'm just not a creative dude. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't. I mean, it's not the my looking at it is not the way a lot of people look at it. The min maxing tends to be the standard from what I've seen overall. Yeah, I'd probably go that route because I always had be. I always had more fun uh, creating the stories. Back in the day. I mean, I like playing playing the RPGs, but in terms of creating the character backstory, I'd rather instead create the game session and create the plot and and write up the story that everyone would go through. I enjoyed that a lot. It is your fault that you had the door open towards me. Your fault. If I can hold the door open and we can smash the stuff that was trying to push the door open through the gap, I wasn't the one who decided the door open that direction. It sounds like you guys should team up and finish Tony's book. i have no idea what tony's book was you know i still i think i have a draft book around here somewhere i can't remember Everybody does i don't know if it's a rite of passage but i think everybody gets an idea and they start writing a book at some point oh sure i think i probably sat down i thought this is easy i'll do that and then i stopped and i thought i'm bored (laughs) i had a similar question something you brought up tony if you guys have a moment something i want to ask both of you um, when you're learning how to play a tabletop game, you mentioned watching uh, these guys playing D&D on Twitch, and yeah. I had never even thought about that. I was going to ask if you could recommend any YouTubers to teach you tabletop games, but maybe there's Twitch guys that do it, too. Well, there are both, and I will, and we'll put these links in. I'll get, their, I'll get the links okay, so we cool. can put them in the thing. 
but um, probably one of the best out there. Definitely the probably the largest on Twitch that I can think of right now is It Me JP. Uh, it me or it me? it i t i t m e j p, and he does the uh, he does he plays video games a lot, but he also does lots and lots of d and d and other role play systems. His whole channel, his whole game series is role play, uh, is what it's actually called. They use roll twenty a lot. That's actually where I learned about roll twenty, and they are a very uh, role play heavy. They've got tons of game. I mean, they've got. I don't know. You're probably coming up on if you go to his YouTube channel and look at his back stuff, it's something in the air area of like 200 hours plus. So you can just cat jump in randomly and watch stuff. And there's uh, another gentleman who I really like whose name is Koibu, and he has a whole series where it's literally just a two-player. It's one person playing as the DM, and then the other person is playing a solo campaign. Where it's just the, So it's just the DM and the guy playing a solo campaign. And the way they play it are is they play until that character dies, and once that character dies, they flip who's the DM and who's the solo player, and then they play again. Yeah, that's kind of cool. See both sides. Yeah. So I uh yeah I'll have uh I'll I'll get some links for you and and into the group and this and that for for those those are the those are the, probably the two I recommend uh the most. I know Twitch has a whole RPG section now that you can look on and it it's definitely it gives a good feel for the way things play. Well, um, even not just uh RPGs, but like I bought a Smash Up a board a tabletop game. Mhm. And just didn't understand the instructions so watching some guy on youtube made a lot more sense but yeah you know you type in smash up on youtube and there's you know 400 guys that my answer there is also my go-to board gaming like podcast and this and that it's dice tower uh dice tower is probably my favorite uh there are several others uh as well that are pretty good but i know dice tower is my go-to for anything cool. like that. They have yeah, yeah, Tom Vassell, he's he's like a superstar of board gaming and reviews and lists and stuff. It's it's definitely where I go to primary for any of that information. Cool. Thanks. I'll check that out. I end up getting games that I just almost never touch because when it's when it comes to a night to play a game, it's like oh, I'm kinda tired. I don't want to learn a new game. Let's play you know, we play Mission Red Planet a lot, so that's like our go to yeah, let's just play red planet we tend to jump into cards against humanity if no one wants to learn anything new yeah cards no. against humanity i've i really enjoy if there's more than four people with four people i end up just getting annoyed because yeah we typically the, play the with six to eight is, yeah, yeah that's we, perfect. is when we play it typically uh when it gets pulled out, normally the you know the kids are off playing video games or watching movies or in the other room or something, and we'll pull them out on game nights because uh, we have like monthly game nights where a bunch of us get together and we play video games and watch movies and you know just have dinner cool. and just catch up type stuff. That sounds fun. Well, thank yeah, you. No, well, not a problem. It's a but yeah. No, those are the 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 go tos. Those are the ones I go to straight off the bat. Okay, check them out. We played. What is it? Momoto Kori? Mento Kori? You know what I'm talking about? It's like this Japanese city you're building. We played that for the first time last night. I haven't... No. It's pretty fun. Hmm. Uh, It's a pretty popular game. I bought it on clearance at Target because friends had recommended it. I just can never remember the name. 
I don't have it. I was looking around the room. I don't have it in here with me. But that one was easy enough. It's only four pages of instructions, so it's easy enough to pick up. But Dominion, we played Dominion wrong the first several times and thought it was the worst game ever until we finally <laughs> figured out, oh, it goes, I forget what we were doing wrong, but then it became one of our favorite games. Yeah, Dominion's a great game. I uh, It wasn't my first game of that type, but it was a game that has definitely picked up because there's a lot of people at the game night I attend that play it. Yeah. And that and... Um, Thunderstone. Have you played Thunderstone? It's the same. It's very similar. No. Uh, Thunderstone. My first experience with Thunderstone was one of the gaming guys slamming me in the chest with a with the Thunderstone box that was completely full and it weighed about thirty five pounds, <laughs> and it felt like I'd been hit by a bowling ball. <laughs> He's like, Jeez. "We're playing this." It's like, that's oh, a lot of cards. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Was, uh, <laughs> and I'll uh. When we when we do the links, I'll also I know because I know like Itme JP and Quaybu they've got a lot of stuff, so I'll I'll put out the exact series that are the uh, the ones to watch for fun. The they've got some episode. <laughs> I know there's a pandemic episode with. I think the Dice Tower has a pandemic episode. I know. Uh, Tabletop has a pandemic episode. Have you okay. watched Tabletop with Will Wheaton? I've seen a couple episodes, yeah, a couple I, of years ago. Yeah, they've got a pandemic episode, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, I'm just kidding with Dennis. That's so fine. So I didn't learn how to play it. The, the, uh, there are a number of people that have tried to win it, so yeah, there are plenty of streams. You could also yeah. just fire up Mario Brothers and go to the Game Over screen if you'd like to know how it'll Same end. Thing. Well, <laughs> the end. It all ends. It all ends the same way. Disease always wins. Okay, <laughs> and uh, one of the, the and just in case you randomly jump into like one of Itme JP's uh, uh, things, he has uh, like he every year for around Christmas time they do the made RPG special where they play the made RPG game, which is a uh, a game where you're literally a Japanese style. It's a Japanese style like anime game where you're a maid taking care of your master and this and that. And, and, and just to give the warning, t- one of the rules of going in to play it is, is typically all the players wear maid outfits. So, hot. yeah, it's it, it, it's wonderful, wonderfully large bearded men in maid outfits is just amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they also, he's also got a game uh, that they've been playing that's uh, uh, the Star Wars Age of Rebellion system that they've been doing. So the, he's that's the channel if you want to see a lot of different RPG type games, and then Dice Tower is board game after board game after everything you need to know about board games. It's cool. yeah, that's the one to go to for everything board game related, like ever. Awesome, thanks. You're welcome. And I think that's about it for us. Uh, right. I don't have anything else. No, we're unless Don has anything else he'd like to bring up. Nifty.led.com, your source. Oh. <laughs> no, I got nothing else. Yeah, we're, we're waiting guys. for that that Audible and Casper mattress money to just roll on in. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, was it you hey, guys that I, had an Audible ad? No, no I talked Audible. about Audible, but it wasn't us that had an ad. I just talked about it the other day. Oh, it was Loot Crate, one of the small podcasts I listened to, and not not uh, negating you guys as a small podcast. <laughs> no, we're but probably one of the we, don't, we don't actually know. 
I think uh, it was Google it might Drive have even been a pinball podcast. The Loot Crate was sponsoring them. I'm like, whoa, how did they think huh. that worked out? Must not be one I listen to because uh, I don't. Not to disparage all the pinball podcasts I don't listen to, but because uh, I don't recall hearing it, and I'm caught up. So I don't. Recall There's a lot more than there used to be. Because oh my god, I know when I first started listening to po- pinball podcast, there was like three. Yeah, and there now there's like twenty now. Yeah, oh, wow. and it seems like there's like I'm... two new ones a month. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it's growing. I'm starting to think I'm going to have to add more just so I can make sure I'm not being too duplicative. It's obviously very difficult because the news is so it's such a small hobby compared to these other two topics. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bad because I know there's some of them I've tried and I dropped them off and now they're they're doing, I guess, fairly well. And it's like, well, I should probably add them back to the list so I can know what's going on with them. But uh, there's well, so much to I, listen to. There's too many. Yeah, I, I go through waves of pinball podcasts where sometimes I want to know what's going on or what people's opinions are. And sometimes I'll go months without listening to really any pinball podcast, maybe one or two. What I like about your show is you guys hit on different stuff. So even if I'm like not in a pinball mood, at least I'm going to get some video game news or I'm not into some of the Warhammer stuff, but uh, there's always some board game knowledge in there that is interesting. And it's usually a quick listen. So, you know, under two hours, hour and a half or whatever. Yeah, I think we've only ever gone over two hours once for E3. Oh, that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> That's nothing. I can't do the five-hour podcast. Just that number throws me off. The, the one, I listen to Film Junk, and that one is usually about three hours, but I love that show. That's the one podcast I don't miss that I'll just I'll listen for a couple of days then if it's long. Yeah, my, my longest is uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he finally wrapped up his Persian Empire uh, one. Yeah, and it is over five hours. I just finished it this week, so I uh, oh really gosh. like that one. And, of course, I still got to learn about because of my uh, deus ex faux pas, I have to uh, continue to learn <laughs> about Rome. I'm uh, just past uh, Septimius Severus's reign, so I'm working my way through all those emperors. you over my head. <laughs> oh, I just hey, I, I had to work really hard to memorize that. So I, I was glad I've actually got to use it in a conversation because you'd be not surprised at all how rarely being able to refer to obscure Roman emperors ever comes up in day to day life. <laughs> Depends I'm on your, your audience. Yeah, I hardcore history was like the very first big podcast that I got huge into, and I'm still huge into it. But man, they are long. But he only usually releases quarterly, so hmm. yeah, that helps. Takes them a while to write that script. Well, speaking of writing, if anyone wants to get a hold of the show, you can always email us, uh, eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We're also active on Facebook, which would be facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're at eclectic underscore gamers on Twitter, which I'm horrible about, and eclectic underscore gamers on Instagram, which I'm much better about. Uh, checking and putting stuff on. That's right. Uh, check out the Pinball Podcast with Don and Jeff. We will have them at the top of the show notes. So just give them a click and give them a listen if you like pinball or even if you don't like pinball because they at least will talk about some LEDs. That's right. NiftyLED.com. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>